I was reminded of all this whole adventure of parenting this past week. Jennifer and I were um, able to gather with some other pastors in our Acts 29 network and their wives as part of this cohort that we're in. Usually it's just us guys meeting together, but for the first time they said, bring your wives, let's hang out with our wives as well, which is really good for her to have other pastors' wives and be encouraged by them, share stories, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly of life. And um, on one of the days they took us to this place outside of Charlotte called uh, Whitewater. Uh, you can look it up. Uh, some of you may have heard of it. It's, um, it's a place that was built um, to help the U.S. Olympic kayak team practice before the 96 Olympics. So they have a man-made rapid course, uh, class one, two, three rapids on one side, class three, four on the other side. And then they just expanded it. So you can take your family, go on vacation. And they tell you up front, like when they're teaching you this whole harness system that you have to wear to do like the zip lines and the jumping off a 10-story tower, stuff like that. They tell you up front, this is not an entertainment park. This is an adventure park. In other words, you could die. You could be seriously hurt. In fact, the week before uh, we went, they told us that someone in the whitewater uh, boat didn't hold on to their oar. Like that's the number one job is not to stay in the boat. It's to hold on to your oar because if you let this end go, you can crack somebody in the face and break teeth as happened to someone the week before. So, uh, and, it, and so us pastors, we were talking, we were going through all these things, and, and uh, Jennifer, she could tell you stories. She did some things that she's never done before, conquered some fears. Um, but us pastors started joking, like, okay, there's just sermon illustrations everywhere. Like, who's going to come up with the best sermon illustration out of jumping off a 10-story tower and having this harness system hopefully catch you and lower you down to the ground, or riding in a a boat with nine other people through the rapids of life and the difficulties and you need each other and you work together as a team and I, and I thought about it in the context it's like it's easy for me I'm doing we're doing child parent uh, baby dedication and so there's like illustrations everywhere you know you sign up to uh, Lord willing have these children but it it could kill you <laughs> emotionally uh, physically because you're a sleep deprivation um, all kinds of relationally, like all the angst and the turmoil and the, the struggles of being a parent of a child um, sometimes takes everything that you have and costs you seemingly everything. And for those of you whose kids are super young and you're like, what are you talking about? This is great. It's glorious. This is fun. Just wait. Just wait. It gets better and better and better and harder and harder and harder all at the same time. And so what role does parent-baby dedication, like this kind of, I don't want to call it a ceremony, but this kind of event, what does this have in, in all of this for us as parents? Like, why do we do something like this? This is the first time, as I mentioned, we've taken the entire teaching time to devote to parent-baby dedication. Usually, it's just part of a normal worship gathering. In fact, one family couldn't be here today, so in a couple of weeks, we'll do, uh, do one for them at, a, at the beginning of our worship gathering. But it's our first one since 2019. It's our first one since COVID. And as you can see, we've been busy and fruitful during the COVID years. And God has blessed. COVID years weren't all bad, right? <laughs> Thanks be to God for blessing us as parents. But let's think biblically about what we're doing this morning. This isn't just ceremony. This isn't just an excuse to get our little ones dressed up and put them in front of everybody. We know this also isn't the salvation of our kids, like, no worries, no one's about to be baptized, 
So we're, we're a Baptist church. But this is an outworking of some values that we share that are really important to how we understand the church and the family. God places a high value on the family. He created the family first before any other institution, including the church. The family is intended to be the place where belief and trust in God would be a normal part of teaching and modeling in the everyday life of family. So you see this in the Old Testament. There in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Deuteronomy is a book given to God's people before they enter the land of promise, a book that explained this covenantal relationship between God and his people. And he included these kinds of exhortations. To be my people, you'll have to be a people who pass along your faith to the next generation. Parents, these words are to be true of you. They are in your heart. They are to be a normal part of your everyday life. Some of this instruction can be structured and planned. So the resources that we're gifting each family this morning can be a part of that. Having time set aside in your day with your kids to read through the Bible with them. Start with the children's Bible when they're young and progress as they get older. Uh, share biblical stories. Teach them the truth of our faith through the resources like the catechism where you're asking questions and giving answers about what we believe. Who is God? Who is man? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the church? But the instructions are also to be spontaneous. It can never just be something you stop and do as a family. And then you just live your normal life as though God doesn't exist, like a functional atheism. That's, that's not helpful. Completely ignoring your faith. So we, we look for spontaneous moments to teach your kids about the reality of your faith. And the, the easiest way is for that to be an outflow of how you live your faith. Bringing your kids in and helping them see how when you're worried or frustrated or tired or confused, how you reach out to God in prayer. Openly reading your scriptures, reading the Bible before your kids. How you search the scriptures for advice. How you depend on the body of Christ for help. How you serve and love others through time together and meals and energy given to help. Why bring my son up here before the worship gathering to help set up chairs in this building? Because we're ingraining in him at a young age. That this is the things we do to serve and help others. Our life is not just to be indulged, but to give and to serve. Talk openly about what you're doing and why and help them see that what you believe about God affects and flavors every aspect of your life. Like in a house, inevitably something gets lost. Before getting angry that it's lost or turning the house upside down, stop and pray and ask God for help. The, the universe that God has created, I tell my family this all the time, it is a physical impossibility for something to vaporize into the ether. So it's not disappeared. It's just can't be found. And like Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one lost sheep, so now we will scour the house, but we'll do it out of faith and not out of frustration or out of fear. And I can't tell you how many times God answers that prayer so that he can build the faith of our kids as well. Uh, inevitably, we... Uh, 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 have toys that break. Sometimes we can fix them. Most of the time, we can't. 
because they're cheap and they're not intended to be fixed, but just thrown away. And so we can go to our kids and say, we have a God who specializes in mending what is broken. And we can give a picture of that to them when we can fix it. This is who God is. And when it's impossible to be broken, we can say, not everything can be fixed in this life, but one day we will have toys that will never break again. Assuming they're toys in the eternal state, there's something to enjoy and something to play with. But you're, you're instilling in them, this is how God intersects our everyday life. Um, inevitably, we as parents will mess up, at least in our house. We're good at it. We lose our cool. We discipline out of anger. We're impatient. We're selfish, just like our kids can be. And we sin against our kids. And those become opportunities as they get old enough to understand, hey, I'm not your perfect father. You only have one perfect dad, and I need him too. He has forgiven me. Will you also forgive me? And keep pointing them past making you to be the hero of their life, to the one true hero of their life. We are to relate to God according to this passage as the one true most high God, relating to him accurately. There is no one and nothing else we worship or who deserves our total allegiance except the one true most high God. And so as parents and families, we battle against the various idols of our day. We help our kids see them as lesser gods that we deny and destroy, if necessary, to keep our allegiance to the one true most high God. And there's all kinds of things that can become idols. Devices, entertainment, and stuff that they own, relationships, friendships. If they're in a relationship indulging in sin, then that has become an idol because they're not willing to say no to the sin, to say yes to God. Family can become idols. We can elevate our earthly families to such a level that we excuse or we allow sin or we indulge in sin to protect or promote our earthly families. If you've heard the expression, blood is thicker than water, that's an idolatrous elevation of the family that can cause some people to be more loyal to their earthly family over anyone and anything else, including Jesus, and it's ungodly. Read through the Gospels and see Jesus helping us make those distinctions. Yes, we should be good moms and dads and husbands and wives and siblings and children, but never above and beyond the allegiance that Jesus alone deserves. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. He alone has that place of total love and devotion, love that encompasses all of life. Our parenting has to flow from total devotion and love to the one true most high God. And so even elevating your kids to a place of greater importance and love that causes you to compromise your devotion to Jesus is something to be careful about. Our kids are not the place where we realize our failed dreams as parents. Being a coach for a bunch of years in youth sports it can be blatantly obvious to everyone except for that parent that this is what's happening. You're pushing and prodding and poking your kid to excel at the sport because you didn't. And they've got to realize what you failed at. Raising our kids isn't about healing the wounds of our childhood. There's nobody in this room that was raised in a perfect home with perfect parents that did everything right. And it can't be, I've got to fix what was broken in me. I've got to overcorrect I'm just raising my kids in a way that is anti how I was raised. That's not healthy either. Raising our children isn't about proving how amazing of a person you are because of how obedient or amazing your kids are. They're not the trophies of your life for the world to see how great you are. 
Our parenting flows from faith in God and love for God. And so we see these kids not as our achievements, not as the reflections of our glory and performance, but we see them as his kids. They belong to God. He created them. He gave them to us either through biological birth or through adoption. They are gifts of his grace. We get them for a very, very short period of time. They aren't to be endured. They are to be enjoyed, but they aren't supposed to be ultimate. They aren't to become what we center our life around, but part of centering our lives around Jesus. We don't raise our children to make much of ourselves, but we hope and pray that we raise them in such a way that they will give their lives to make much of Jesus as well. We don't raise them out of fear. I have to protect them from all the hurts of the world at all costs. I'm the one who keeps them safe. If I control every aspect of their life, they won't make the mistakes I made. No, we raise them out of faith in the one true God. He created them. He loves them. We have our part to play, but even if we did it perfectly, which we won't, it wouldn't be enough. And so ultimately, we have to trust God. I remember the first time Abigail drove off on her own after she had her license. She had done all the necessary work to, to achieve a license. I had spent hours and hours teaching her how to drive. And since I'm a perfect driver, I thought for sure I could instill in her this skill of driving that, that I excel at. And she passed all the exams, went through all the classes. She was old enough. And so one day we asked her to drive something over to the Stogners, like two miles away at the time. And she got in the car and she left. And I, like this unexpected moment of faith, my faith being tested was like sprung up in my heart, like, oh my gosh, she could die. She could hit somebody. Somebody could get hurt, hit her. She might not come back. Like, this is it. Like, you've done all this work, and now they're in your hands, God. And I didn't expect to have that crisis of faith, but I was thankful for it because, okay, I trust you. She's yours. We've, We've done our part, but to some degree, she's in your hands now. You created her. You loved her. You have a plan and a desire for her life, and I trust that you're going to order her steps and take her down the paths that you would have her to go. And then she was back in like five minutes, and crisis was over. Like, okay, I don't have to have faith now. (laughs) And of course, uh, since then, I mean, that's years ago, since then, they go everywhere all the time, and I don't even think about it anymore. If I want to know where they're at, look at Life360, and what are they doing there? Who lives there? And stuff like that. But... um, But what can happen is you can become numb and just desensitized to your need for faith. And so now it's God driving us back to to express that faith in prayer. Because now, I mean, Emma Grace is on the beach with her friends from school for a senior trip. And I'm like, okay, you got them, God. They're yours. And who knows where he's going to take them. And who knows what he's going to call them to do and and where they'll go. The reality is... um, well, a little, a little more personal reflection. When kids are younger, I had a much greater confidence that my parenting would be the key to how amazing my kids would be. I'll do all the devotionals. I'll explain the rules that weren't explained to me. I was just told because I said so. I'll do a better job as a parent and give them a full logical explanation for why these rules flow from the character and nature and attributes of God. And their, their hearts would be like, well, of course I'll obey you. Because now I understand, right? I'll get them interested in science and creation. We didn't have devices when our kids were little, but that became an issue as they got older. But we'll get outside more. We'll get off the devices. We'll eat healthier. 
But as they have aged, my confidence in my parenting has continually been exposed as a false confidence. And God has grown my faith and trust in him to be the amazing parent. Yes, we strive to do the good and healthy things. And as parents, you, hey, we do good for a little while. And then we get slack for a little while. And then we do good for a little while. And it's just constant ebb and flow. But the reality of our faith, uh, as we strive to live out the reality of faith before them, me and Jennifer, uh, could share story after story of the good that we've seen and also how much we need God. Like that has grown and multiplied tenfold. Um, we've been appropriately humbled that we are not the hinge on which their faith turns. We are not the hinge on which their future rests. Our performance as parents isn't the hinge on who they become. We're a huge part, of course, you are too, parents, but we take far too much blame for what is broken in our kids and far too much credit for what comes out right. Stealing and adapting a quote from John Piper, there are 10,000 factors at work and the spiritual development of our kids, and we might be aware of three of them. We parent from faith and love and trust in God because he has their future way more than we can control. The New Testament has more to say about parenting. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you. You may have a long life in the land. Fathers don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Here we see this crucial balance as parents. We need children who will honor and obey us as parents because it's part of them learning to honor and obey God. God offers to us a life of blessing that we experience by loving Him and obeying His commands. A life of blessing that's not devoid of hardship, but it's a life blessed by God because we have His presence and His power and His help with us no matter what we walk through. And kids can learn this from a young age by learning to obey mom and dad. And it starts as young as they are able to start saying, no, I won't, my way, not your way. In age-appropriate ways, they learn that life is good in the home when they obey and life is not good when they disobey. And each family has to figure that out for their child and how they can best communicate that message to the little ones. But... As they get older, that changes, right? You don't discipline a 14-year-old like you do a 4-year-old. It doesn't work, and it's belittling. You're just building resentment and bitterness in them. But we do discipline 4-year-olds. We do teach them, instruct them, help them to see life is good when you obey. Life is not good when you're rebellious and you disobey. Because that's how God has wired the world to work. Ultimately, there's blessing and joy when you follow and you know and follow Jesus, and you love him and obey his commands. And ultimately, there is heartache and destruction and pain when you run from him. Like we know this. Sin may be fun for a season. Sin may even be profitable for a season. Sometimes it seems as though the wicked and the sinful aren't suffering. Sometimes it seems as though they're advancing because that's what our headlines are filled with. But we know ultimately we have to stand and give an account before the one true judge of the universe. And this life is not all there is. And there are destructive consequences that we suffer when we chase sin and chase rebellion. So when they're little, we teach our little ones that mom and dad are the boss. And some of our kids, I can't remember which ones now, would literally be like, I want to be the boss. Well, you're not. God made us the boss so you would learn to know him as your boss and as the judge and king of your life. And so you do what we say because you, you have to learn to obey God as your king. But we do it a, with love and grace. We don't 
stir up anger because we're jerks in how we lead our kids. Like even when they're little, we ask Jesus to not help us not discipline in anger, not to provoke them in anger as the ESV reads. And of course, this looks different as they age. As they go into the teenage years, more and more your parenting changes where they become more and more part of the decision-making process and the, so that in the safety of their home, they can fail and they can learn the consequences of sin, but also the unconditional love and forgiveness of their Father in heaven through their parents. Our desire for them all along is to have hearts transformed by the gospel so they want and love what God wants and loves, just like we want for ourselves. It's a glorious process. It's an agonizing process. But God is at work. As much as marriage offers sanctification for us as sinners, parenting at least doubles that. But it's good even though it's hard. So this parent-baby-child dedication is really not about your children as much as it's about you as mom and dads, what you're signing up for, what you're committing to. We are committing ourselves before one another to raise our children in these biblical godly ways, the ways of God, the ways of the gospel, not the ways of the world and the ways of religion, the ways of faith and not fear, the ways of joy and not bitterness, the ways of grace and not works and performance being ultimate. And so, mom and dads, and the little ones that you want to make this public commitment with this morning, if you still want to do this, I mean, you can back out, then go ahead and, and make your way to the front this morning with your little one. And we'll just kind of spread out across the front. No one's silently judging you for how they behave up here. You're free. Lots of grace. Yeah, you stand. All right. <clears throat> so, parents, we recognize that these children are gifts of God's grace and they belong to Him more than even us. We affirm your role as their parents that God's chosen, ordained for them. Your role as the primary disciple makers of your kids. Ephesians 6, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6 rather. Ephesians 6, paint a picture of the home being a place where love and devotion of the Lord to the Lord encompasses all of life. The rest of the scriptures give us more revelation of God that we hope and pray our kids will confess and love one day. There's no more God-ordained voice in that happening outside of you as their parents. You are primary. And so this dedication is more about you being dedicated and committed to be disciple makers of these little ones. So parents, do you publicly affirm your desire to continue to create this environment in your home where the Lord is made known to your children so that an atmosphere of love and trust in Jesus is revealed to them in everyday life? If that is your commitment, you can say, we do. To the biological families that may be present this morning, but even more so to the Crossing Church. You know, they can't do, we can't do this alone either. They need help, encouragement, accountability from all of us to do this well. 
So will you affirm your commitment to be that family for them? To pray for them, to encourage them, to help them along, to speak life and love and even rebuke and exhortation if necessary. If you will, please say, we will. Okay, this is easy. So for each family, we have a uh, gift, a resource to actually use in the process of making disciples. It's not a ceremonial gift that will sit on the shelf, shelf and collect dust, but it's a tool that will be employed to teach and instruct and train and fight for the faith of your kids. And we also want to create space for our fathers and mothers to voice a prayer of blessing, faith, trust, and hope over our kids before our church family. So uh, what I'll do is I'll call out each family, and Anna Grace will share that gift with you. And then uh, mom, dad, you voice that prayer however you see fit. The good thing about doing that is after you're done, you can go sit down. All right. So uh, let's start with... um, The Burkett family this morning are dedicating Caden Elias Burkett, who was born on November 14th, 2022, and Jackson Conrad Burkett, who was born August 26, 2017.